Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So on today's show, I'm joined by author and detective Irene Wignall. So welcome, Irene. It's nice to talk to you again. Hi, Karen. Nice to talk to you again. So how have you been? Because, of course, we did our show together for Authors and More a few weeks ago, didn't we? So have you had a busy couple of weeks? Um, yeah, it's been quite busy. We're um, in the process of planning. It's Ted's ninth birthday at the weekend, so wow. we've been party planning. Uh, he loves planning his party as much as I love planning it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So for for, the, for our listeners who haven't met Irene, Irene is an author and detective. So Irene, you've been a detective for 22 years. That's incredible. So which force are you in? I work with Greater Manchester Police. I've been in the uh, police force since uh, 1999. And um, I worked in the city centre of Manchester, a police station which was called Bootle Street at the time, which is now gone. Um, and now I work in uh, the Serious Crime Division, which looks at uh, crimes all over the force. Wow. So I bet it's changed dramatically in the time that you've been there, hasn't it? Uh, what kind of things come to mind that that you can remember, sort of major changes? Oh, yeah, it's 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 changed. And, and I do believe that change is a good thing. Yeah. But I remember when I was in uniform and we worked in the city centre, not many people lived in the city centre at that time. Uh, so it was basically when the clubs and bars shut, um, it was it was deadly quiet. Um, wow. Can't imagine, now, can you? I know. And so many people now live in the city centre. Uh, so it's even even with that, the, the types of crime change. Um, yeah. But a, a lot now is is there's so much office space. Uh, investigation that we have to do and a lot of crime now is online uh, so it does take sort of the bobby off the street which is a yeah. shame yeah people are hiding behind their computers aren't they in there being yeah. shopping with what they're doing so were you involved at all in the manchester bombing were you um you know any, any involvement with that no it was after after i um arrived at the manchester bombing um but some of the old, older detectives and uh, police officers that were there, um, it, it, it obviously leaves a, a big impression on them. Um, and dealing with that afterwards, dealing with the aftermath and your feelings about stuff that you've seen is, is horrendous. Um, I remember when the bomb went off at the arena um, and I was uh, office based at the time and I'd um, seen it on the news just before going to bed. So I texted my sergeant and said, do you need me to come in? Yeah. And, I, and obviously Adam's a police officer as well, my husband. Um, and my sergeant hadn't seen anything. So he he then looked on the news. Um, but he was saying there's no point in everybody, you know, getting in. There's no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it was just, it was horrendous. It was horrendous. And people don't forget anything, you know, don't forget turning up to the scene. Don't forget dealing with the... Uh, victims families afterwards that that things like that never leave you no and of course initially you were talking about when the Arndale Center was, was yes you know, with the incident wasn't it what year yes. was that of course I remember uh, it but what year was that 
it must have been in the early 90s because I joined in 1999 so it must have been in the early 90s yeah yeah because of course there might be some listeners that weren't born then and they don't know what we're talking about that of course was a, a major incident wasn't it so that's two two big whammies that Manchester have had um, but you've had an incredible career so far in the force. But of course, your life has thrown some ups and downs your way. I was really sad to hear that you'd suffered child loss in 2013, was it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you happy to share that story with us, Irene. Yeah, and, and I think sharing helps me and I hope it helps other people Absolutely. as well that may have gone through things like this. But we already had Ted, who was 14 months at the time. And um, I like to plan. So I'd said to Adam, we need, we need to get another one in quick. I was an older mum anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we got pregnant quite quickly. We got pregnant, um, Ted was seven months old. And the pregnancy was quite a difficult pregnancy throughout. And at, um, at 27 weeks pregnant, I went for an um, a antenatal appointment. And the mid- I told the midwife I was having stomach pains and she said, that's fine, that's normal, it's your stomach growing. But I've in my file before, I'd never heard that before. I know. And, and I just put all my trust in her. Um, and my file was there and it said that we'd had bleeding throughout and we weren't allowed to go abroad in case I went into labour early. Uh, so I did. I just put all my trust in her. And, and that's one of my biggest regrets of my life because I just thought if I would just pushed it a little bit more. Um, so anyway, she sent us home. And then at six o'clock that night, um, I realised the stomach pains were contractions and I must have been in labour. So uh, we phoned for an ambulance because we didn't know what to do. Um, got to the um, hospital and they took us straight down into the delivery suite. And they took his heartbeat and they said he's, he's on his way. He's going to be poorly because he's going to be very little, um, but he's on his way. And so the, the uh, delivery suite just was full of people and they brought in an incubator and a little toasty bag that they said, we'll put him in here and this keeps him warm. Um, and then but I remember my mum arriving uh, and, I, and I said to my mum, he's on his way, he's on his way, he's okay. So my mum was on my left-hand side and Adam was on my right-hand side. And this was how I imagined labour to be because with Ted, I'd had um, a section and and it just felt right. It just felt perfect. And then the midwife came over to check his heartbeat again. And then she went to get the consultant and the consultant who came along didn't know my name. And she nodded to the midwife and said, what's her name? And I knew then that she was going to tell me he passed away. And... And it just all of a sudden the room emptied. There was there was just left with two midwives, and I remember one of the midwives saying to me, uh, "You're going to have to carry on and and give birth naturally. Uh, do you want to see your baby when he arrives?" And I was like, "Oh my God, yes!" I, I felt him kicking. So when when she asked me that, I um I was like, "Of course, I want to see my baby." I felt him kicking inside me. I want to inhale him. I want to remember every little detail about him. And she, then we carried on. And, and I never knew in childbirth that your baby helps well while they're being delivered. So it was oh, yeah. really difficult um, to, to birth Dusty. Uh, and when he arrived, he was perfect. He, and he, he was perfect. He was two pound one. He had dark hair and he was wrapped up. Uh, like any baby would be and put on my chest 
And that day we spent 12 hours in the delivery suite. They didn't tell us to move. Uh, our parents came in and said goodbye to him. My sisters came in and we chatted to him all day and we told him about his big brother, Ted. We told him about what his life would be like um, if he'd come home with us. And it was just, it was just a perfect 12 hours. Although if somebody had told me that that's what somebody had done for 12 hours, I'm not sure I would have felt yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you, so did, um, it was called Dusty. You've named him, you named him Dusty, which is a lovely yeah. name, really mm -hmm. unique and different. Did he look like Ted? Exactly like Ted. And when Ted was born, he had a little like imperfection on his ear and I, and Dusty had that as well. And, I, and that imperfection was just like perfection to me. Yeah, it was just yeah. lovely. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. So you had a beautiful ceremony for Dusty. So what, what did you do? Tell us about that. Yeah, I didn't realise that um, you, you have to have a funeral um, if any baby is born over 24 weeks. And and I remember we, we were being talked through what would happen. And and, and, I th and even me and Adam said, what, what do you do at a funeral? Do you invite people or do you send out invitations? I don't know. I don't know what you yeah. do. Um, and Adam's thing is music and that's his like hobby and that's his life so he picked the two songs that were played at his funeral and I wanted to make as many memories as I could um in that short time and everybody who attended the funeral had a buttonhole and it was a blue rose and there was a little light tag on it with Dusty Wignall 8th of November 2013 oh, um and I remember the car came to the um to the funeral place and a little white coffin on the back seat with a seatbelt over it uh, and in a way I thought that was cute because I just thought they're still the keeping it safe yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah I've got all yeah. to complete that I know I know and it was lovely um but that was our focus initially to to sort out the funeral yeah. and then after that we were a bit in limbo what do we do now yeah yeah I can imagine and then, of course, you went on to have baby number three, which was Albie. Did you find that, you know, you, initially, I think you had trouble as well with Ted, didn't you, during the pregnancy? It wasn't an easy pregnancy for you. Yeah. And then, of course, you had Dusty. Um, did you find that, you know, you were affected with your third pregnancy? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think um, I, people forget about this. When you've lost a baby and you get pregnant again afterwards, people seem to think, oh, well, it's all okay again now. It's all okay. We don't have to talk about Dusty. Um, she's got another baby now. And I remember first finding out I was pregnant and my first reaction was guilt. Um, I felt guilty that, I'd, uh, that I, I was replacing Dusty or that people would think I were, or that Dusty would think I was replacing him. And I felt guilty on the new baby that he would he would think he was a replacement. Yeah. Um, and I I, that's quite a natural thought though for, for, for mums yeah. in that situation. Yeah, but it was a very, uh, I was very anxious all the way through and there was no signs that there was going to be anything wrong with that pregnancy, um, and which is a shame. I can't remember being pregnant really. There's not, I can't remember any happy times being pregnant with Albert. Because you were so worried and, you know, yeah. making a state of anxiety throughout, which is natural. I can imagine you would be. Yeah, yeah. I remember them giving me the option to be induced at 38 weeks and I snapped the hands off because I just thought anything to bring it forward. Yeah. And what about afterwards? I think, did you suffer quite severely with postnatal depression after Albie? 
Yeah, I, I, I was trying to be this super mom that we all know doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. There's no one on the earth. If they are there, they're pretending to be or they're acting. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I felt like I'd got my babies and they were both healthy, but I felt really sad inside. And Adam kept saying to me, why are you sad? You've got everything you wanted. And I, cu I could not shake the sadness. And I think I was, I was grieving still for Dusty because we got pregnant three months afterwards. Yeah, so, so it was quite soon afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think I was still grieving and, and all the hormones and everything. And really in the space of three years, I've been pregnant three times. One so my hormones are a mess, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah. your body probably hadn't healed thoroughly from Dusty. Because um, it just takes a long time, doesn't it? People don't realise that you don't just have this this lovely baby and then your body gets back to normal. It can take quite a few years, really, to feel yeah. something like you were before again, you know, back to yeah. normality everywhere. Yeah, definitely. And when, when I realised I got postnatal depression, I remember Adam saying, I think we need a chat. And, and he, this is irrational. And I said to Adam, if you're going to say I've got postnatal depression, we're finished, we're over. But even that's just irrational. Yeah, and and yeah. so I Googled it. But I thought postnatal depression was wanting to harm your baby. And, it, and it's not at all like that. Um, and as soon as I Googled it and I realised it, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, because I bet you were afraid to ad of admitting you had it in case that's what it meant. Yeah, it, be, yeah. it affects everyone differently, doesn't it? Absolutely, everyone. You know, no two are the same. Yeah, agreed. And it's like they they call it the baby blues, don't they? Yeah, and a few yeah. days after your baby arrives, it's like a big wave of emotions. Um, but it's when they sort of continue, and yeah. um, you just you just can't sort of snap out of it. Yeah. But um, Ted and Albie, they're doing they're doing well now. They're how old are they now? They're eight and six. So yeah, they're doing great. They're very different, um, yeah. but they make me laugh every day and they make me go insane every day. But it's a typical I love boys, them. typical boys. And you call them the stinks, don't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always imagine. I had uh, I always imagined myself with girls and never imagined having boys. And when, when I realised that that was it for me, I was having boys, uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, but so, yeah, we call them the stinks. <laughs> so I think everyone um, would agree that you'd had your fair share of heartbreak and grief. But oh, no, the gods sent you another blow. And uh, you suffered with a brain tumour, didn't you? Which you named the life of Brian in your book, which we're going to talk about shortly. So how long after Albie were you diagnosed with your brain tumour? Um, Albie was two. Uh, so Ted was four and Albie was two. And I remember being really tired all the time and just put it down to motherhood and working. Yeah, because obviously your body still was then recovering yeah. from all the pregnancies. You've got young children to look after. I bet you couldn't believe it, could you? No, no, I was angry. I was really angry. Um, and I am quite a positive person, but I just remember thinking, why is whoever makes the decisions up there, why are they giving me this brain tumour when I just, I'm just getting sort of my life back on track? Yeah. I've, I've shown a um, Show strong strength. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it just, I was so angry. Um, but yeah, it, I, I had to deal with it, basically. I had to 
crack on. So what would they say? So you're saying you were tired. Were there un any other kind of signs that or symptoms when you look back that you thought, yeah, things were a little strange um, for I, me then? I got a couple of dizzy spells, nothing major, just like standing up at work and walking to the door. And I thought, mm, I wonder whether that's like them couple of glasses of wine last night that I shouldn't have had on a school night. Um, so I, I ignored it for, for a while. And, and then I thought, well, maybe I need glasses. So I went having a, an eyesight test and the optician said, I think you could do with a hearing test from what you're telling me. So I went having a hearing test, just a free one at Boots. And the, the young lad there said, you need to take this report and take it to your doctors because your hearing's decreased in your left-hand side. So within two weeks, I'd had an MRI scan. Um, and then within four days, I, I had the results. So when you had your hearing test, were you aware that your hearing was kind of diminishing? No, no, I'd, no. I wasn't aware of it at all. So I'd obviously, because you do compensate, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd obviously just compensated for it. And, and, and even now, I realise I lip read a lot. Um, and I didn't notice until people started wearing masks. And masks, yeah, because that's it. They, they do say that everybody relies on lip reading, whether they've got good hearing or not. And, it, and lots of people have been having a hearing test because they think they've gone deaf because that's taken away from them. Yeah. You don't think about yeah. it, do you? It just comes natural. So what happened next? So when we went to the consultant, he said, what we have to do is to see if he looked at the scan and he said, it's not cancerous. He could tell from the scan with the shape of it. And he said, what you need to do is go away for six months, um, try not to think about it and have another MRI in six months and then we'll see whether it's growing. <laughs> try not to think about it. Okay, then I'll yeah. just put it to the back of my mind, the fact that <laughs> I have a brain tumour which may or may not have to be removed. Oh my goodness, what planet are these doctors on? I bet it was the forefront of your mind every day, I can imagine. Yeah, as soon as I woke up in the morning and it's the last thing I thought about at the night time. So that would have added to your um, your mental state at the time, having young, ch young children anyway and what you'd already been through. This would have mm -hmm. added to the pressure, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. For about four months, I tried to just carry on. Um, and, and then one day I dropped the kids off at school and my shift started at 11 o'clock. And all I had to do was go home and get into my work clothes, pick an outfit for work. Uh, and I remember thinking this one thing I had to do just yeah. felt massive yeah um and and it just sort of came tumbling in on top of me and I phoned in sick that day and said I don't know when I'm going to be back but it just straight away felt like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders and yeah. I realized then I needed to sort of take a step back and not yeah. try and be this wonder woman wonder woman yeah but the good news was it was benign you had the tumor removed and you've made a miraculous recovery, considering everything you've been through. You look mm -hmm. amazing and you're doing really well. So how, how do you feel at the moment? Do you feel like you are going in the right direction? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, um, I'm deaf now in my left-hand side, but we're taking that as a positive in this house. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> House full of boys, house full of men, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, other than that, and, and I'm really lucky because... Where the tumour was, it could affect your facial nerve. Yeah. And uh, there's all different things, side effects that it could have done. And and I, and I just feel really grateful that I didn't get any of that. And within, I think, 10 days of having brain surgery, I was picking the lads up from school. Obviously, I couldn't drive, but I went with Adam and picked the lads up from school. Uh, and, it, and, I, and I just I feel 
rejuvenated, I suppose, given a second chance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So what's wonderful is that you've had this wonderful career, a, a wonderful life, some, a great journey, obviously with its ups and downs in there, but you've decided to put these all down into a book and you've written, look for the effing rainbows and look for the effing rainbows, a self-help guide, not really, which is brilliant. So you put everything down into your book, um, which I've read and it really is a, it's a roller coaster of tears and laughter, isn't it? Because you really are sharing your journey of everything we've talked about today. And it's really going to help other people. Um, now, what I love about the book is there's some really funny uh, tales in there. So tell us some um, funny tales. Think it's like drinking your son's urine by accident. I mean, yeah. and then also um, forgetting how to breathe. How do we forget <laughs> how to breathe? Explain that to us. <laughs> I know. Well, the first one with the uh, drinking Albie's urine, I um, it was at the time when I'd been told to go home and, and not think about the brain tumour. And I remember getting up one morning and I went downstairs and Ted and Albie were both watching telly and Ted said, uh, Albie said, sorry, uh, can I have a drink? And I said, there's a drink on the table. Whose is this drink? And they both ignored me, carried on watching telly. And I said, Albert, and I picked up the drink and I had a mouthful of it. I said, it's warm. Who's put warm drink in this in this, <laughs> in this cup? And Albert said, no, mummy, I've weed in that cup. Oh, and my goodness. Oh, Couldn't you taste that it wasn't quite lemonade? <laughs> <laughs> that tastes a bit off, that lemonade. I, know, I, just, I just didn't expect it. I really didn't expect it. And that's, that's why they're called the stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and how about the forgetting how to breathe what happened there yeah after ted was born because i'd had sepsis um so i was quite poorly in the hospital <laughs> and i couldn't lie flat on my back and breathe at the same time um and i've never had like panic attacks or anything like that so i had loads of scans on my lungs uh, the doctors couldn't work it out. Uh, they sent me home one day. The midwife sent me back into hospital and said, no, you're not right. Um, and then when it transpired, uh, I'd just forgotten how to breathe, um, which is it's just bizarre. I think it's bizarre. Uh, so I had to go to physio and, and learn how to breathe again properly. Was that to do with the anxiety you might have been suffering then where you, you, you can kind of not hold yeah. your breath but you kind of your breath is, is for a couple of seconds you're not quite letting go because you're trying to catch your breath that makes yeah sense. I, I, I think it was due to and this is just my um diagnosis but uh, the last thing I remember is the mask being put over my face before I went into uh, surgery to be put to sleep and then I was in a state of sheer panic because I thought I was going to die so this yeah. mask and I just felt I couldn't breathe and that was the last thing I felt yeah um and I think it was due to that yeah. but it was Your just in that connection hasn't it yeah. yeah and then also tell me about this photo shoot with mothers and co oh yeah so <laughs> we've done I, I'm building a, a and this is when I just started writing and practicing and putting things out there and it was a, a website that said we'd like to hear about mothers from all different walks of life and so I answered the questions and she said well, we'll come around and we'll do a photo shoot at your house but it'll be natural so no need to tidy no need to like make an effort so obviously I'd, the house was spotless well, I can imagine were... with three boys that it wouldn't have been <laughs> to start with because I have no. a boy I know what they're like <laughs> I know I know uh we were in color-coded uh matching outfits um where we were like <laughs> 
not look like we tried too hard, but try a little. Yeah. Um, and then, so I was doing one last hoover in the uh, front room and the blind got stuck in the hoover. So I yanked the hoover and it pulled down the blind from the wall. Uh, and at the same time, Albie was shouting, Mummy, I've wiped my bum myself and was bouncing from step to step with a bare ass <laughs> down each step. <laughs> Skids on his bum. Oh uh, my goodness, I, what did she walk into? <laughs> oh, I just, I, I think there was sweat pouring off me before she'd even walked in the house. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bless you. Did she come in holding her nose then after Albie's experience? <laughs> <laughs> she was really, really nice. And she kept just smiling and smiling. And I thought, she cannot wait to get out of this house. <laughs> oh, bless her, bless her. Oh, well, congratulations on the book. So it's Look for the Effing Rainbows. Let's talk about that title. So why the, why the title? Well, because everybody says be positive all the time. But it's really hard to be positive. Yeah, of course. Um, but when bad things do happen, you do have to try and focus on that, just that faint little positive that you can find. Yeah. So that's it. It's just like look, try and look for the effing rainbows because there will yeah. be some. Where are they? The effing's going wrong. What? Why is this happening to me? I can't find the effing rainbows. I totally yeah. get it. It's a great title. So it's look for the effing rainbows, and then book number two, look for the effing rainbows a self-help guide, and then in brackets, not really? Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so they're both available. Where can we get these wonderful books from? They're both available on paperback and Kindle on Amazon. Uh, you can get them from any book, good bookstore. Um, you can also get them on my website, which is uh, lookforrainbows.com. Wonderful. So if you've got any questions or maybe if anyone, any of our listeners can relate to what you've been through and maybe they want to get in touch is that okay if they get in touch with you that way yeah totally totally wonderful oh it's been lovely talking to you again Irene I think it's such a natural uh chat when we get together and it's been really lovely to hear about your journey and thank you for sharing everything so far and I wish you all the best for the future thank you for having me thank you very much You've been listening to An Appetite for Life, sponsored by Daybank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. If you are interested in any of my packages or wish to be a guest on this show, then you can contact me via my social media pages, Karen Kelly Podcasts, or send an email to Carolyn Kelly at btinternet.com.